Matthew 26, 47. And while the Lord Jesus spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed Christ gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then they, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him eventually to Calvary. We ask Heavenly Father that you would provide for us uh, a morsel that we can take home. Something that we might use to reveal our hearts and to glorify the Lord in the process. Speak to us. Control this service. Glorify yourself again. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title of our message this morning is Jesus' Jesus friend, Judas. Taking the Lord's words in verse number 50, Friend, wherefore art thou come? You might incorrectly think that this is a message about Judas. It is not. It's Jesus' friend, Judas. Let me assure you, this is about the Savior. It's, it's the Lord that we need to have. We can learn from Hezekiah. We can learn from Moses. We can learn from Judas. We need Christ Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In him are hid all of God's blessings. Let's think about our Lord's relationship and response to Judas on this dreadful occasion. Unfortunately, if both what I understand and what I don't understand about the Lord's relationship to Judas were put on one of those balancing scales. I'm afraid that uh, all that I know about Judas would flop right off under the weight of all that I do not understand about this man. Why was Judas permitted to be one of the Lord's disciples? I don't know for sure. I can make some guesses based on other scriptures, but there is no scripture which says... The Lord chose Judas for this reason. We have nothing like that. The Lord Jesus certainly knew about the spiritual condition of this man. There was no confusion about that. The Bible tells us so. John 6.64, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. From the beginning, from the day that Judas became one of Jesus' closest disciples, the Lord knew what this man was going to do. Human logic makes me wonder how that man could spend three years with Christ and never become a child of God. If he was so spiritually irresponsible, why was he fiscally responsible? Why was he given the financial bag there among the disciples? And what was he thinking when he took steps to betray the Lord into the hands of God's enemies. Was his purpose totally evil? 
Or was he trying to accomplish something good through this uh, roundabout negative way? Some commentators give him the benefit of the doubt, declaring that Judas was trying to force Christ into revealing himself, force Christ into establishing the millennial kingdom right there and then. But if that was true, why didn't Judas truly repent, truly repent, after Christ was arrested and taken off to be crucified? How could he not love the Lord Jesus after spending more than three years with him? There are some people who just have a nature about them that once you get to know them, you cannot help but love them. And I'm sure that that must have been the case with Christ Jesus. What then was wrong with Judas Iscariot? These are some of the few questions that I have about this man. For some of them I have theological answers, but the questions do remain despite the theology. For example, I know theologically why Judas didn't repent. Because repentance is a gift of God and he was not given that gift. Evangelical repentance is not of human origin. It doesn't come from our determination to cast this sin aside, something like that. Repentance like faith, faith to believe in the Lord Jesus, is a gift of God. The Bible tells us so. But still, in human logic, if Judas was sorry enough to kill himself, why wasn't he sorry enough to repent before the Lord and, and come to Christ and uh, confess his sin? Rather than Judas' lack of love, I'd like to focus on Jesus' Life of love, expression of love. That a Christian loves another Christian is part of the proof that he is a child of God. John thirteen thirty five, by this shall ye know, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. If someone says that they are a Christian and hates to be around other Christians, Put a big question mark over him. He doesn't appear to have some of the characteristics of a true child of God. He's probably not saved. Doesn't like being in the family. That person is failing in one of the tests, a test established by the Lord Jesus by which we are to judge our own souls. Make sure we start there before we start talking about the other fellow. After this love of the brethren, the saint has been commanded to love his enemies. Now, this is a step up. This is a bit more difficult. However, rather than love, there are a great many Christians who appear to hate just about everybody who doesn't agree with them at least 90% uh, of the time. I'm not referring to people who hated and persecuted you initially. I'm just talking about... Other Christians, how can they call themselves saints if they can't take a spiritual interest in someone else, even an unbeliever? If the professed Christian totally ignores the clear command of Christ, is that person really a child of God? Of course, the highest example of love is the Lord Jesus. The fact that you are now a child of God proves the love of Christ. Christ had enough love 
to call you friend. Oh, and while we're at it, he had enough love to call Judas friend. To that statement, I must add a word of caution. There is a grace and love of God, a love of Christ, which is irresistible. There is a love which Christ has for his people that is unique to God, that it is on something that the Christian cannot ever have. It's, it's divine love. But in Christ, there is also love that is more like ours, a human love, a love which does not result necessarily in a person's salvation, but in a friendship. For example, Christ undoubtedly had a love for his siblings, his brothers and sisters. Some of them became children of God. We're not sure about all of them. That is a love to which most of my message refers this morning, that kind of love, a human love. Now, if you were to name the lowest individual to have ever polluted this world, who, who would be at the top of your list? I mean, the most wicked of all the wicked, the very worst of all the worst. Would it be some mass murderer, perhaps? Someone who killed many, many people? Uh, a Ted Bundy or, or even a, a Stalin or a Mao Zedong? Would it be a false prophet? Someone who spiritually murdered people? A Joseph Smith, a, a Mary Baker Eddy, or one of the popes or whatever? Would he, on your list, be a criminal, a barbaric king? Maybe one of your former employers. <laughs> I believe that the Apostle Paul, if he was asked to make a list like this, would put his name right up there at the top. The chiefest of sinners, that's who I am. The chiefest of them all. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save me, the very worst of the worst, the chiefest of sinners. The Greek word chief in this verse is protos which means first in any list of things or persons. If you were asked to name the worst of all humanity, at what level would you put your name? Oh, the Saul, Saul of Tarsus was really a terrible man. He was a murderer. He was a persecutor of the early church. He was a spiritual rebel. Yes, he was. And by definition, so are you. Yes. Remember that whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer at heart. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Were you never a rebel against God? I went to church most of my life. But I was a rebel against God. Well, what about Judas? Is there anyone willing to nominate Judas for the top of the list? After all, he was directly involved in the crucifixion of Christ. That's a terrible thing. Maybe he should be up there. There's probably not a person here today who would like to be called you Judas. We don't like to be called a Judas. That's a terrible thing. Whatever you might define it to be. Perhaps in some ways... He really was the worst in some ways. 
But please notice, the Lord Jesus was really willing to touch that man and to call him friend. How did Christ mean that word? Friend? Wherefore art thou come? Some commentators say that Jesus used that term sarcastically, used it contemptuously with the intention of, you are no friend of mine. Why are you here? Some think that it was facetious, that it was without sincerity, that the Lord Jesus was just trying to be funny. In other words, some people cast doubt upon the honesty of Christ. Others suggest that Jesus was asking the manner in which Judas was approaching him. Are you coming to me as a friend or in some other way? I think that Jesus meant exactly what it appears he was saying. Jesus, my friend, or excuse me, Judas, my friend, why have you come? Forget about the fact for the moment that Jesus already knew the answer. That's not in the equation. Let's just concentrate on the word friend. If the human love of Christ could descend to the level of Judas, what encouragement there should be in that for you and me, for us? Are we really better people than Judas? Well, certainly. Of course I am. Absolutely. We are more noble. We are more truthful. We are more trustworthy. Perhaps so. I'm not going to argue with you. But remember that there was nothing in this man's outward life to suggest the hideousness of his sinful nature. At the Last Supper, Judas asked, Is it I when Christ said, one of you shall betray me. All of the disciples asked the same question. And none of them pointed to Judas and said, Lord, is it he? I have had my doubts about him. Is that the man who's going to betray you? That didn't happen. He was trusted enough to be selected as the church treasurer. He was apparently highly religious. He was outwardly humble. He came from Judah, while most of the others came from Galilee. So he may have had just a little higher level of religion than the rest of them did. And yet he was willing to become a disciple of Christ. He probably sacrificed and suffered more because of that relationship to the tribe of Judah. The only faults in the man were his love for money and the fact that his religion lacked substance and these things were kept under wraps. No one knew about them at this point in time. In many ways, Judas could have been a member of any society. I'm sure that in the early days he could have walked up those stairs and said, I'd like to become a member of Calvary Independent Baptist Church. And we'd say, oh, when were you saved and where were you baptized? Okay, you're in. It's all right. But his true character was displayed in the eyes of the world when he betrayed Christ with that kiss. And yet, when he planted that kiss on the cheek of the Savior, the Lord still reached out to him. Friend, 
wherefore art thou come? By definition, you might any by any definition you might use, to be a friend of Christ would be a very good thing. That'd be all right. Here we have a beautiful illustration of the breadth, length, depth, and height of the love of God. Friend, Judas, think first of the patience of Christ's friendship. Judas had recently resolved to betray the Lord in this most disgusting manner. But the Lord knew about Judas long before that. Knew his heart, knew his character. Judas could have used any number of means to point out the Lord. When he came with that murderous mob, he said, the one that I kiss, that'll be the one that you take away. He could have said other things. He could have done other things. Betray with a kiss? For 2,000 years now, preachers have been offering their suggestions as to why he did that. And probably some of those suggestions, uh, or one of those suggestions is correct. But I don't know which one it was, and I'm not going to try to answer that question. Why did he do that? But that kiss could mean a powerful lesson for us today. A kiss is usually a sign of affection. I kiss my wife quite regularly. I won't tell you how often, but it's pretty often. And I kiss my daughter and I kiss my granddaughter on the lips. Judy still kisses her son, probably wishes she could kiss him more often. I am glad that I do not have to kiss Steve Kilgard when we come to the house of God. Amen. <laughs> A kiss is an expression of affection. And I have a great deal of affection for Brother Kilgard. That's why I don't kiss him. <laughs> Unfortunately, kissing is often done with uh, uh, less than perfect sincerity. This little five-year-old boy meets his uh, aunt for the first time in his life and his mother said, go kiss your aunt. And he does so, but not with a whole lot of affection involved. Did I say affection or infection? I hope I got that correct. Sure, Judas was at this point the enemy of Christ, but his enmity was covered by an abominable kiss. On the other side of that kiss, what a display of perfect patience and unruffled calm. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Hey friend, why are you here? Knowing perfectly well why he was there. The traitor came to him with a cup of poison and the Lord said, here, give it to him. And he, and he drank it down. I know there's a difference between divine, gracious, saving love and human love, human affection. I know there's a difference between agape love and phileo love. I know there's a difference between brotherly love and spousal love and... Uh, the sincere affection of a friend. But the Lord should have, but that the Lord should have any kind of simple affection for Judas is not logical. It's divine. It's spiritual. Well, maybe Jesus didn't know what Judas was up to. 
Come on. Yes, he did. That's blasphemy to think such a thing. Surely, if there was ever a man who least deserved the name title, or the, the name, the title, friend, it was Judas. But that's exactly the term that Jesus used. Friend. Granted, there are two different words translated friend in the New Testament. There is phileos, which speaks about a closer relationship than the word hetairos. But in speaking about the brother, in speaking about the brother of Mary and Martha, Jesus used the the term friend, not one who's loved very closely. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his phileo. Here in this chapter, as in a few other places, Jesus used a different word, which talks about human relationship, affection. Judas was a friend in the sense of a companion or a comrade, but not in the sense of a close brother. It's very important to notice that the Lord never called Judas brother, never called him a child of God. Yet, still, Jesus identified Judas as one of his people, a variety of friend to Christ. As I said, if ever a man should be excluded from any kind of relationship with God, it should have been this man. Other men have sinned against the Lord, but none so maliciously by coming up and kissing the Savior on the cheek. If there was ever a moment when the heart of Christ should have slammed shut against anyone, this should have been that moment, logically speaking, humanly speaking. But no, even in the act of treason, Christ held out his hand to Judas and shook it forcefully or accepted his kiss. Sin has great power against us. It can embitter us, it can enslave us, it can destroy us. But sin cannot make God do anything. It can affect us. Past sin, even future sin, cannot force God not to love the people He saves. The prodigal can demand and then forsake and then revel and squander and spit upon his father's love, but those things did not destroy, could not destroy the paternal love that he, the father had for the prodigal. Human love can be hurt. It can be destroyed by foolish sin. The Savior's love cannot. Amen. has a different source. Can a mother forget her child? Yes, she can. But as it is the nature of God to love, that divine love can find a way, will find a way, to display itself. What am I trying to say? Is there a worse man than Judas? Is there a more unworthy man than Judas? Is there a murderer, a rapist, a terrorist, an anarchist, an atheist more sinful than Judas? 
Perhaps so. Perhaps not. But that's not the question. That's not the important question. The real question is, who or what can separate us from the love of God? Yes. The love of God is as omnipotent as the God of love. While you consider the Lord's patient friendship, notice the way that it was used. Our sins do not turn away the love of God. If it did, none of us would ever experience the love of God. On the other hand, our sins do change the expression of love. To one person, the Lord speaks of love through that uh, person's parents. To another, the Lord's love is seen in its breadth, stretching over years and years and years. To another, God's love is expressed in chastisement. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. To another, God's love is seen in its height, climbing huge mountains of sin, and still displaying that love. With Judas... Christ's affection dove straight for the man's heart and appealed to his conscience. Judas, you've been my companion for these many months. You are my friend. We've eaten hundreds of meals together. We've talked about your problems and your past. Judas, we walked thousands of miles together. We sweat together. We tired together. We got exhausted Judas, I want you to remember those many, many hours that we spent in fellowship together. Friend, why are you here? In this way, aren't all church members, all members, scriptural Baptist church somewhere, just like Judas, we're co-laborers with Christ. We're members of his body. We're his comrades, his companions in the work of the Lord. We've dined at his table. We've observed his baptisms. We've listened to his word. We've shared his word. We've found his Holy Spirit. And every time that we have sinned, we have betrayed the love that he has given to us. We've kissed him on the cheek while attempting to stab him in the back. He gave his life for us. If we're members of one of the Lord's churches, we are hetaeros of Christ. We are the friends of Christ. Or, no, we're phileos. We're his loved ones. We may be companions of others, but we are brethren and children of God. Notice Jesus' question once again. Friend, wherefore art thou come? What's your purpose, Judas? I know what it is. Do you really know what it is? Have you thought about it? Will you specifically consider it? It's an important question because we are all prone to gift wrap ourselves and put ourselves in the best light for whatever. We tend to call our our avarice, care for our family. We call our lust a, a consideration of beauty. We call our self-gratification 
resting. We call our laziness just minding our own business. There's quite often an excuse given for our sins because we have such well-developed but follow, fallen imaginations. But one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to force us to look at our realities and throw the imaginations away. Right. Why are you here, friend? What is your purpose? If Judas had taken time to think about it and to properly answer it, it might have changed his life. It might have saved his physical life. I have come to betray you for the price of a cheap slave. I have come to bring about your death or perhaps nearness to death. I've come to expose you either as a fraud or as God because I'm really not sure what and who you are. I'm here because my heart belongs more to those priests than it does to you. No one can say with any confidence that they know how Judas would have answered that question. Nevertheless, the love of God pleads with us to answer that question ourselves. Why have you come? Friend, what is your purpose? However you might answer, understand that it is possible to reject Christ's friendship. Would it have been any worse if Judas had spit on the Savior than to kiss him? I know there's a divine love rooted in grace which no sinner on earth can refuse when it's expressed. But the Lord has other loves which ought not to be rejected or ignored, and yet which can be. As strange as it seems, we can turn from God and say, I choose not to listen to you. I am not interested in this. Christians do it all the time. We pick and choose. We accept most of it, but there are things that we throw aside. Not interested in that. The Lord pleads, and we resist like a a dirty little boy standing in front of the bathtub. You need to get clean. As Christians, we will never cease to be objects of his love. But we can refuse the blessings of his love. We can turn them aside. We can turn ourselves aside. Or as lost souls, we can feel the tug of the Holy Spirit drawing us to the Lord. And we can say, no, I'm not interested. The Lord may come to us and say, friend... And we can say, I choose not to be your friend. Isn't that what Judas did? To the lost as well as to the saved, the Lord says, come unto me. Look upon me. Bow unto me. It's very easy to join Judas. Going his direction. How tragic it is to join Judas. We can do it as unbelievers. And unfortunately, we can do it as Christians as well. Once again, I plead with you to surrender to the conviction that the Holy Spirit is, has created in your heart this morning. That may be a different conviction than it was last week or last month. And it's not the same conviction that your neighbor is experiencing at the moment. But whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, Whatever he is drawing you toward, 
Don't push him aside. Don't, and don't pretend to be a friend of the Spirit either. The Lord doesn't need your kiss. He needs your heart. He needs your surrender. Maybe I should rephrase that. You need to surrender. Right. Once again, I plead with you to repent and turn to Christ. Set Him apart in your soul as your Lord and Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Choose not to. Eternal death and judgment. Please stand.